So I'm going to be speaking from the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 1. So let's read that text as there's a lot to say and not a lot of time in which to say it. So let's have a look at Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So I'm going to take the headings that we have on our card, unashamed, undeserved, and unstoppable, and I'm going to touch on those three elements, and I'm going to refer to aspects of this text as I do so, because I can't cover all of it. Um, Let's just look at some of the background here at the time that the Apostle Paul was writing. At that time, there was an emperor who ruled the Roman Empire. And uh, emperors like to be called Lord. Caesar is Lord was one of the declarations that often people had to make at that time. At Jesus' birth, before Paul wrote this letter, it was the emperor Caesar Augustus who ruled at that time. And when uh, the, the Jewish leaders were disputing with the Roman governor about having Jesus released or not, One of the things that they said to Pontius Pilate was this, if you let this man go, i.e. Jesus, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So here we have Paul writing this letter into Rome. Many emperors at that time as well also liked to be known as the son of the divine one. 
Uh, Romans was written about 57 AD. I'm going to show you a picture now of who was emperor at that time. This emperor Nero was in power when Paul wrote this letter. He was a nasty piece of work. He was 17 years old when he came to power. How did he come to power? Well, his mother conspired against Nero's stepfather, who happened to be Nero's great uncle. And uh, what the historians say is that Nero's stepfather, who was the emperor, was poisoned. And then Nero became the emperor in his place. But Nero also had a half-brother called Britannicus, who was the son of the emperor who'd been murdered. And of course, he was a potential rival to Nero, so Nero had him bumped off as well, poisoned. And uh, during the time of Romans, in fact, it was just a few years after Paul wrote this letter, seven years after, there was a great fire in Rome. And again, historians tell us that the Christians were blamed for this fire, and so they were violently persecuted by Nero. They were thrown alive to wild animals in the arena to be torn apart. They were burned alive. Uh, But Nero had his own downfall when he fell out with the leaders at that time, and he committed suicide at the age of 30. The point of all that is this, that Paul, in writing this letter of Romans, was going to the heart of the empire. He was writing to the heart of the power base at that time, the place where the decrees were issued, where the wealth was, where the power brokers were. And he was coming with a revolutionary message, Jesus is Lord. It, was, it had already turned the world upside down, and it was going to turn the world upside down even further. And in fact, we have to say that the gospel has been turning the world upside down ever since it came out into the world. Thank you for that first picture. So let's have a look at the first point, which is unashamed. Paul talks about the fact that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Why is that? Well, it's because the gospel is good news. Now, there are various kinds of good news. Let me just show you a lighthearted one to start with. If I could have the next picture, please, Alice, that'd be great. Yeah, okay. Okay, a lighthearted good news. I don't know if you've ever played this game, Monopoly. Basically, you go around the board and you buy up properties. Who's played this game? So a show of hands. Oh, well, okay, I'm talking to the converted. All right, so you know that when you land on a certain square, be it a community chest or chance, you get one of those cards that's in the middle, either orange or yellow in this case, yeah? And you get some which are good news. Here's one. Bank error in your favor. Collect 500 pounds. You ever had that card? Or one that I like getting, if I ever play it, is this one. It is your birthday. Collect 10 pounds from each player. That would be rather nice if it was you against me today, wouldn't it? And it was real. Now, that would be good news. <clears throat> no, but more, thank you, Alice. But more seriously, you know, we like good news. <clears throat> Kids, uh, the young people I heard this morning are about to start their GCSEs tomorrow morning as it happens. That's good news in terms of the fact that the traffic will be lighter because they'll be on study leave. So we praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> but... Um, <clears throat> The good news will be if they get some good exam results. You know, you know what it's like if you're a parent and your children are doing exams and you drive up to the school with them on that fateful day and they go into the school, you're sitting in the car park with them, or maybe you're not, I don't know, maybe you open the envelope, I don't know. But we didn't never open the envelope and uh, you wait in the car park and you're anticipating, is this going to be good news or not? We like good news. We like 
to hear you've got that job that you've been after, and it's got a significant pay rise. It's good news. Or announcement of a marriage. It's good news. Or finally, that house sale has gone through. Contracts have been exchanged, and you've got a moving date. It's good news. Well, the gospel is good news. Paul is unashamed because the gospel is good news. Jesus declared that right at the beginning of his ministry, and I think it would be helpful to be reminded about aspects of the good news. He says this, Jesus, he's come to heal the brokenhearted, to announce release to captives and freedom to those in prison. He has sent me to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. So there's provision, there's comfort, there's release, there's freedom, to bestow on them, I love this, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Well, who wouldn't rather have that? A crown of beauty instead of ashes in your life. Whatever ashes you may have, God wants to bestow on you a crown of beauty. And sometimes when we look back on our life, we can see there's many times when it's just been ashes, not been a barrel of laughs, or to quote my friend Richard, low on laughs. But Jesus says, no, I've come to bestow on you a crown of beauty, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Well, I tell you what, I want to sign up for that. How about you? You know, I'd rather have a garment of praise than a spirit of despair. I'd rather have a crown of beauty than ashes. So Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He was not ashamed as well because he knew, actually, that that message was going to endure. Even in our lifetime, we've seen some empires fall. And we look historically, empires rise and fall. The Assyrian, the Babylonian, they seemed impregnable. They seemed invincible. They seemed as if they would never end. The Persian, the Greek, the Roman. They ruled the, the, the known world at that time. Even the British Empire. When I was a boy, I remember looking at the atlases, and uh, they would uh, color the parts of the British Empire in pink. Think it was. My memory serves me well. Does, that, does my memory serve me well there? Those people of a similar age? Yeah. Nods of heads. So, yeah. They would color the British Empire in pink. Whereas that shrunk. I don't know if there is any empire now. The point is this. And we were in London earlier this week. I think it was earlier this week. Was it earlier this week? Yeah. Earlier this week. And we went into this conference in the Albert Hall. Boy, that's an impressive building. The Albert Hall. It's amazing. The, the architecture. The beauty. And then opposite that, you've got the Albert Memorial. I mean, it's splendid that Queen Victoria had this done at the early death of her husband. It's a beautiful, and it shows something of the wealth and the confidence that there was at the height of the British Empire. Where is it now? It's gone. Paul was not ashamed because he knew that the, the gospel, powered by the Spirit, would endure. Paul was not ashamed in a society where he might well be ridiculed. In fact, he was ridiculed. He was persecuted. Where his message would not be accepted by everyone. He brought this message into that kind of culture. But he was still not ashamed. We have to say as well that today our culture is fragmented. The Prime Minister David Cameron said recently, he said this, quote, We're a Christian country and we should not be afraid to say so. I'm not sure I agree with him. Certainly the first part, we're a Christian country. Then the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, he said this, we're a deeply Christian country. Now, I think I know what he meant historically. 
But I don't think we're a deeply Christian country. I think the, the former archbishop got it right when he said, Britain is post-Christian in the sense that habitual practice for most of the population is not taken for granted. A Christian nation can sound like a nation of committed believers, and we are not that, which I would agree with. In fact, I'd go further than that and say that in some areas, we've abandoned Christian values, Christian morality in favor of, if it seems right to you, then just do it. Again, in my lifetime, I've seen the institution of marriage, one man marrying one woman, I've seen that singularly undermined in my lifetime. It's totally different to when I was a boy. <clears throat> I've seen again in my lifetime the lack of value placed on the life of an unborn child. I mean, that's scary. You know, we're a Christian nation. Hello? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> there are elements which are still with us, plus our general self-centeredness, our materialism. You know, we're bombarded with, you must have this, otherwise you're going to be deprived. You must have the latest of everything that's out there. And it's not, I remember Neil talking about greed, <laughs> where the Bible says, beware of all kinds of greed. Because I never ever considered myself as a greedy person. And when he said that, beware of all kinds of greed, it really hit me and it made me think. It made me reflect and I thought, well, am I? Am I greedy? Do I need that? Do I need two of that? Do I need three of that? I don't know. Just made me think anyway. But Paul is not ashamed, even in a culture, and he certainly brought into a culture which was going to be antagonistic. He said, No, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because I know that this message is going to endure. I know as well that this message is good news. He's not ashamed as well because in verse 16 he says, this, It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's the power of God. Even this morning, it's the power of God that's at work. It's not a worldly power. It's not by might, nor by power. It's not that sense. It's not tanks and guns and bullets and rockets and, and all that kind of thing that many of the nations rely on. Even this week, we've seen Russia rattling their, their saber in their sheath as they've sailed their um, battleships through the English Channel. This is, you know, this is just who we are. Come on. Take notice of us. Or you see in North Korea, the kind of the troops marching by all in regimented order, and then the rockets following them. They used to do that as well in Red Square a lot. You know, the gospel is not like that. <laughs> the gospel is actually delivered in weakness through people like me. Ultimately, delivered in weakness through the crucifixion of Jesus. Who would have believed it? This obscure Jewish carpenter, no particularly you know, fancy looks, no power base, just the clothes that he walked around in had to be provided by, by others, <clears throat> no rich mansion, the weakness of God. But nevertheless, Paul says it's the power of God. It's God's foolishness, he says elsewhere, God's weakness, and yet it's God's wisdom for the salvation of everyone. It's not just a power to put us right with God, which it is. That's part of our salvation, to put us right with God. I'm in right relationship because of what Jesus has done. It's more than that as well. It's about a transformation of us as people. And I know that takes a lifetime. Again, 
We were at this conference at um, the Albert Hall this week, run by Nikki Gumbel, who started Alpha, and uh, they had this young guy come up onto the stage and talk about the way his life had been transformed. Can't remember his name, but he was, his, part of his history was this. He was a violent offender, and he got imprisoned, and he was dangerous when he was in prison. He was just a, an angry young man. And everything, he was just against everybody. To such an extent that they had to put him in isolation because he was so violent. And then even when they gave him his food, they didn't allow any human touch. They put it in a, I don't know how it is, but they put it in some kind of a drawer thing. And then they would lock it and then he'd be able to open his and get his food out so that there would be no human contact because he was so violent. But anyway, the point is this. <clears throat> he did alpha while he was in prison. And God spoke to him while he was there, and he broke down. And in fact, even as he was telling us his story, he just kept stopping because he was choked. And, and that in itself spoke to me, that something had obviously happened in his heart that had softened him from this violent, hard-nutted guy who from the time he was a little boy was involved in thieving and lawlessness. And yet something had happened in his heart. And they showed a photograph of his wife and his four kids and it was just amazing, the transformation that had happened in his life. But the same kind of thing's going on in you and me, if we, unless we think we're any better than he is. In some, many respects, we're not. We're just as far from God, and we just need Jesus' salvation as much as that man. But the point is this. Paul's not ashamed because the gospel, it's the power of God. Not a human power. Not a worldly power. You know, it always amazes me as well. I parked my car in the Red Cross car park. I've got a special pass for that. And at this time of year, and I've said this before, <laughs> every year, without fail, at this time of year, it's probably just a little bit past now, I notice as I, through the tarmac, come these flowers. Grape hyacinths they are. They're purple. Every year, they come through the tarmac. That always amazes me. <laughs> power of God. To me, that's, that's an illustration of it's the power of God. Just gently, it's, there's no great song and dance about it. It just happens because the power of God is in that little plant and it grows through the tarmac. The gospel's a bit like that too. It doesn't have to be all bells and whistles and singing and dancing. And No, because it's God's word and there's no other word in the universe that has as much power as his in a whisper a whisper of God's word is more powerful than the rantings of any ruler on planet earth. So Paul is not ashamed because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel offers the solution to the damage in the human heart. And so he's not ashamed of the gospel. Are you? Are you ashamed of the gospel? at work, in your place of education, with your family? Do you shirk from, are you afraid to declare something of what Jesus means to you? We have to be very careful, and we have to be like Paul, that we're unashamed. We don't have to rant and rave, but we just declare and we reveal something of who Jesus is, hopefully. So the gospel, let's not be, Paul's unashamed, let's be unashamed. I've got to move on now. 
The gospel, I'm going to do it in slightly different order. It's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Peter and John were arrested for preaching about Jesus. They were thrown in jail, and God sent an angel to release them. They were then arrested again, and they were told, you are never to speak in that man's name ever again. But one of the rulers, Gamaliel was his name, said to the Jewish council, he said this. He said, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. The gospel is unstoppable. In some of our lifetimes, we've seen the Soviet communists try to crush Christianity. In my lifetime, during the Cultural Revolution in China, they wanted to obliterate and destroy the Christian faith. Now in China, there are 40 million Christians. The gospel is unstoppable. Apparently in the world today, there are 2.3 billion Christians. More than the population of China and India put together. The gospel is unstoppable. And Paul says here, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Even then. And God will have from every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, people in His kingdom. That will happen. Why? Because God is at work and it's unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable because, Paul writes elsewhere, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It's unstoppable because God's involved. If God has got hold of you, is He going to let go? Listen, hey, come on. If you're a parent here, just put your hand up. If you're a parent, are you going to let go of your kids? Hello? Do they always do what you like? Do they sometimes do what you don't like? Are you going to let go? I'm not going to let go. I don't even think, well, maybe. <laughs> mm. But then I'm not God, am I? I'm not a perfect father. You're not going to let go of your kids, are you? You're praying for them every day, I expect. If you're not praying, I'm sure at some stage during the day you're thinking about them. It's just the way we're built, isn't it? Parenthood. We sing that song, Oh, no, you never let go. Through the calm and through the storm. Lord, you never let go of me. You know, the gospel's unstoppable. God's never going to let go of you. Never. It doesn't even enter his thinking. It's unstoppable. And he began a good work in you. And his determination and his purpose and his plan, and boy, I'm jolly glad it is, is that he's going to bring it to completion. Amen? Definitely. The gospel is unstoppable because elsewhere in Romans he writes, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. There's nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even your emotions, your own emotions, not even your own heart, not even your own wickedness can separate you from the love of God because God has got a hold of you and He is not about to let go. It's unstoppable. There's nothing in, in the whole of creation that can separate us from the love of God. I'm just so thrilled by that. I don't know about you. I'm amazed. What a God we have. 
He's the one who's good. Sometimes I feel, I don't know about you, I feel as if I'm clinging on, you know, like some desperate man. I'm clinging onto a cliff by my fingernails. That's what my faith is sometimes like. Do you really love me, Lord? Do you really care? Are you really interested in what's really going on in my heart, Lord? And I wonder sometimes, and I feel as if it's me clinging desperately to him. And that's why I love that song. Oh, no, you never let go. You never let go of me. If it was dependent on me, I'd have fallen off the cliff a long, long time ago and have drowned in the sea or smashed against the rocks below. But because God is with me, God is holding my hand, and God is doing the same for you. Isn't that true? Can't you look back, if you've been a Christian for some time in your life, on your own history and see that that's true? Of course you can, otherwise you wouldn't be sitting here today. So there you go. The gospel is unstoppable because we know the ending. We know the ending. It's like, now, I don't know. Is it going to be Liverpool or Manchester City today? Now, for those of you who don't know and don't even care, it's to do with the Premier League. And depending on who wins what, will either be Liverpool or Man City. I don't know. I'd like Liverpool to win, I have to say. But that's another story. Uh, But I don't know. But I do know that Jesus wins. I do know the ending here. It's unstoppable. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You cried any tears, even this week, even today. Jesus says, I will wipe away all tears from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It's unstoppable. And it's undeserved. I'm going to show you another picture. Let's see if anybody recognizes this building. If you do, you certainly will go very high in my estimation. You will be top dog. So, would you like to just tell me what that building is? No. All right, I'm going to test the second congregation. See if they are a bit cleverer than you. All right? No, to be honest, I had no idea what this building was either. (laughs) Till I looked it up (laughs) on the internet. Now, so I'm going to tell you what this is. It's the Black Tower of Wittenberg. That's your clue. All right? It's the Black Tower of Wittenberg. And something rather important to do with Romans happened here in the Black Tower of Wittenberg. I'll give you another clue. The next picture, please, Alice. Yeah, some of you will know who this is, yeah? Yes, Martin Luther. Martin Luther lived in the 15th and 16th century. He became a monk at the age of 21 in Germany. And he really wanted to do his best to please God. He thought it was to do with how good he could be in himself. That's what he thought. How good can I be in myself in order to please God? And he realized very quickly that he was a failure. And he labored under the thinking that however hard he tried, he was never able to meet God's standard. And he, so he felt a failure. Not only did he feel a failure, he felt as if he was under the anger of God because he could never achieve God's standard because God's standard was perfect. And he could never attain it. And he was depressed because of that. He felt condemned. Then one day in the Black Tower at Wittenberg, he was reading the book of Romans. 
and he came upon verse 17. And it changed him, but not only did it change him, it changed the face of both Christianity and Western civilization from this verse. Remember, it's the power of God. Verse 17, he read this. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, he wrote this. The just person lives by faith. All at once, I felt that I had been born again and entered into paradise itself through open gates. Immediately, I saw the whole of Scripture in a different light. He realized, actually, that it wasn't that, yes, God's standard is perfect. It is perfect. That's His standard. If you want to be pleasing to God, then that's how you do it, right? You, are, you, you be perfect every day, all right? Every thought, every action, perfect, without fail. That's, then you'll please God. But Luther then realized when he read that verse, the just shall live by faith, he realized, actually, and by the way, most religions have that I must do better attitude. I must earn merit. We see that in Hinduism, for example. You see, and Joy and I are in Nepal for three months, you see weird things. Kids going to school, teenagers, they come to this shrine of a god, they ring the bell to let the God know that they're there. They walk around the shrine a few times, and then they go on their way to school. You see them do that every morning. Ring the bell, walk around the shrine. Why? It's about earning merit. It's about earning merit. Or maybe we, we need to go on a pilgrimage once in our lifetime. We need to do the Hajj, the Muslim pilgrimage. We need to go to Mecca. Why? It's to earn merit, to earn merit with God. Or, if I'm a Buddhist, I will, and again, you see this a lot in Nepal, I go around the stupa, the Buddhist stupa, I, go, I walk around, and you have to go clockwise. Right? Don't go anti-clockwise, you go clockwise. And as you go around, you spin the rear wheels. Why? Because you earn merit. You earn merit in order to achieve. Luther realized the just live by faith. However, it takes a while for that to sink in. And Luther was in Rome a little bit later, and there was this church in Rome, and there were some steps leading up to the church. And the legend was this, that these steps were from Pontius Pilate's house. woo So these steps leading up were from Pontius Pilate's house. And not only that, but the legend was this. They reckoned that the blood of Christ had been spilled on the steps. woo Impressive, isn't it? So what people would do when they went to Rome, is they would, and Luther did this as well, is they would get on their knees and they would walk up the, walk up the steps and they would kiss the steps because Christ's blood had been shed on them, you see. And they would earn merit through doing that. One day Luther was doing that and he realized the just live by faith. And he thought, this is ridiculous. Well, I don't know if he thought that, but he got up off his knees and walked down the steps. Why? Why? Because the just live by faith. Faith in what? 
Well, it's not so much faith in what. It's faith in who. It's faith in Jesus. It's faith in what Jesus has done. It's faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. The standard, yeah, it's perfection. God's not going to change on that. It's perfection. I can never attain it, can you? But someone has done it for you and me. It's Jesus. He's perfect. And on the cross, he demonstrated the absolute wisdom and weakness and strength and courage and perfection of God himself. As he hung on that cross and shed his blood and sacrificed his life so that his goodness, his righteousness, his holiness could be given to me. You and me. Sounds foolish, doesn't it? How can this be? Well, the just live by faith. The just live by faith. I believe that. You're crazy. That's stupid. How can you believe something as ridiculous as that? That 2,000 years ago, we're not even sure about Jesus or anything. Well, I am. I am. I'm convinced he died for me on that cross 2,000 years ago. I'm convinced that he achieved God's perfect standard for me on that cross 2,000 years ago. I'm convinced that when he shed his blood, my sins were forgiven. I'm convinced that when he died on the cross, his righteousness, his goodness was imputed to me, was given to me by God himself. And now I am acceptable to God because when God looks at me, he sees that I am in Christ. I'm not just Ron Lamb here in the 21st century, living in High Wycombe, muddling along through life. No, I am in Christ. And not only that, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. And if you've given your life to Christ, then so are you. Amen? What did you do to deserve it? Nothing. It's undeserved. What will you do to deserve it tomorrow? Nothing. It's undeserved. What will you do to deserve it next year? Nothing. It's undeserved. Because Jesus has done it all well. If that doesn't make us want to sing and dance, I don't know what will. Interestingly enough as well, the Dalai Lama, oh, my time's come to an end. I can't quote the Dalai Lama now. Maybe. (laughs) All right. (laughs) The Dalai Lama, uh, the leader of Tibetan Buddhists, you know, nice guy, I'm sure got nothing against the Dalai Lama at all. And uh, he said this. I read this in a book that he'd written. I was at Bangkok Airport. I've said this before. And we had some time to kill, so I was looking through the books. And I thought, I wonder, and there's one on the Dalai Lama. So I was flicking through to see what the Dalai Lama had to say. And one of the things he said was this. There is no way for others to do the work and for you to reap the results. I know what he means. Listen again. There is no way for others to do the work and for you to reap the results. Oh, chicken! Untrue, untrue. Because Jesus has done the work, and I've reaped the results. It is finished, Jesus said. He did all the hard work. He was the one in Gethsemane, not me. He was the one who sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane. He was the one who was scourged on his back. He was the one who had the crown of thorns put on his head. He was the one who was made to carry his cross to Golgotha. He was the one who was crucified between two thieves. He was the one who was mocked when he was on the cross. He was the one who was stabbed in the side. It wasn't me. He did it. It's what he has achieved. And I've reaped the results. How about you? How about you? Where have you placed your faith? Where have you placed your trust? Well, it's undeserved. It's nothing that I've earned. 
And it's because Paul says in verse 3, it's regarding his son. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's done. It's all about what he's achieved. I would just encourage you, and as we do this series, obviously we're just dipping our toes into what Romans is all about. Please do read the notes. Please keep in touch. Please read it for yourself. Please have a look, and uh, we'll do our best to help you as we go along. Let's not be ashamed. Let's remember it's good news. It's an enduring gospel that will triumph throughout the world. Remember, it's undeserved. It is finished, Jesus said from the cross. He's paid the price, and it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable because it's backed by God's absolute guarantee. I will never let go. I'm determined. I've given my son. I've given everything that I've got into this program, and I'm not about to give up, and you're part of that, and I'm not about to give up with you, and I'm not giving up with this world because I so love the world that I sent my only begotten son in order to save the world, so I'm determined that my gospel is going to spread throughout the whole world, and one day I'm going to redeem the whole creation, and we are part of that. Amen? Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for your amazing gospel. We thank you for your amazing sacrifice, Lord. How should you include us? I don't know. It's a mystery to me. And yet you chose us from before the creation of the world. That's incredible, Lord. You're incredible. We want to give you all the glory. Amen.